Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, it's Tuesday, January the 24th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. Hope you're okay. Coming up, we've been speaking to a lady who could lose her home if plans for a new reservoir near Canterbury are given the go-ahead. Plus, here from the couple being driven mad by bedbugs. But first today, a report has revealed a catalogue of errors left a Kent man free to kill Zara Alina in London just nine days after he was released from prison. Jordan McSweeney had his licence revoked for not going to meetings about his return to the community but his recall to jail was delayed. Now the 29 year old who used to live in Rochester had a history of violence. Justin Russell is the Chief Inspector of Probation. This was a very concerning case. In our view the Probation Service should have assessed Jordan McSweeney as, as being a high risk of serious harm to the public. Had they done so, the planning for his release and the way he was managed would have been potentially very different. They would have been tougher and more robust controls around him and it would have maximised the time that the police would have had to bring him back to prison when he failed to attend his initial probation appointments. In our view, Jordan McSweeney should have been recalled back to prison when he missed his second appointment on the Monday before Zara Alina was murdered. Instead, there was a delay in signing off the recall and he wasn't actually recalled back to prison until the Friday of that week and Zara was then murdered only 36 hours later. Had he been recalled back to prison at the beginning of the week, that would have maximised the time that the police had to track him down, arrest him and bring him back to custody. One of the key findings in this case was a failure to share information between the prison service and the probation service. There was a lot of intelligence on uh, McSweeney's behaviour in prison. He was violent, he threatened fellow prisoners and members of staff, he'd carried weapons in prison. That information wasn't transmitted to probation and it was therefore not taken into account when his risks were assessed. What this case reveals is much broader issues with the probation service in London and in the rest of England and Wales. We are finding across the country very high workloads for probation officers, and high workloads for their line managers as well. And this means that things are being missed and delayed. And that's what happened in in this case. It took 48 hours to sign off his recall back to prison. That should have happened in 24 hours. There was a very overloaded line manager and that really didn't uh, help with this situation. This case, I think, does show systematic problems with the probation service. They are chronically understaffed in some areas like London, and they're not doing some of the basics right in terms of public protection. So there are broader concerns here that this case reveals, and it's vital that the probation service deals with those urgently. We're finding high vacancy rates and heavy workloads across the whole of England and Wales. They are particularly chronic in London. There's over 500 vacancies amongst probation staff uh, in London. Uh, In Barking and Dagenham, the area where Jordan McSweeney was supposed to have been supervised, Uh, Only two-thirds of probation posts are filled. So it's a huge problem for London, but it's a big problem for the rest of the country too. The probation service is actually doing quite well at recruiting new staff. There are over 2,000 trainee probation officers in training at the moment. What they're not doing is holding on to people. So they're losing the more experienced staff who can help colleagues with the more difficult and complex cases. So it's vital that they retain staff having recruited them in the first place. McSweeney will spend at least 38 years behind bars, or Policing Minister Chris Philp insists improvements are being made. The probation service have fully accepted 
the recommendations made by the inspector. They're changing the way that they conduct their risk assessments. They're taking into account a wider range of circumstances. I think one of the individuals in the probation service uh, responsible for the decision-making is now subject to disciplinary proceedings. In addition to that, we're putting more resources into mm -hmm. the probation service. So, 2,500 extra probation officers uh, have been hired. £155 million extra per year is being put into it to make sure these things don't happen again. The probation service managed, I think, over 200,000 uh, offenders. It's a very large number. Cases like this are thankfully extremely rare, but when they do happen, they are absolutely heartbreaking. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today. And a man's admitted causing the death of his partner in a knife attack in Margate, but he denies murder. Thomas Allen stabbed Samantha Murphy in the leg when violence broke out in Alfreda Close last July. The 38-year-old, who's told a jury he had no intention of hurting anyone, has pleaded guilty to manslaughter. The trial continues. A Ramsgate man who threatened to throw his disabled girlfriend from a window after accusing her of being lazy has avoided going to prison. A court's heard the victim who's bedbound and has dwarfism suffered years of abuse from Ian Sheringham. The 42-year-old from Wellington Crescent has been given a suspended sentence and a five-year restraining order. The family of a Kent teenager who was found dead the day after his mum's birthday say he'd shown no intention of ending his life. Chris Figgis played for Canterbury Hockey Club and has been described as academically gifted an inquest has heard how the 18-year-old's body was found near his home in Faversham last October. Now, next today, a lady who lives on the site of a proposed new reservoir in Canterbury fears she would have to move away from the area completely unless a new home is provided. Now, seven properties would have to be demolished if the plans for Broad Oak are given the go-ahead. South East Water say the facility would provide the supplies it needs to keep up with increasing demand. I've been speaking to Karen Isaac, who would have to leave the property she's lived in for more than 20 years. I've lived here a very very long time since the um, 1990s a lot of us down here have all lived here even longer than that and so it would be devastating is the word really for me because um you know I don't know where else I'd live or or anything a lot lot of us can't afford to really move at you know um, none of us are getting any younger to be honest you know we've raised our families here and everything so it would be absolutely devastating, yeah. So tell us a bit about the area. For anyone that doesn't yeah, know Broad Oak or perhaps hasn't been there before, can you just describe the landscape to us and the bit where you live? Right. Well, where I live is actually where the dam wall is going to be of the reservoir. Um, so it will be all underwater. Um, it's beautiful down here. There's so many beautiful you know, birds, everything we have, twitches down here, everything we have every every summer or spring, really, we have nightingales singing across from one side of the valley to the other. It's just endless. There's so many unusual, you know, habitats here and everything. So, I mean, you know, it's actually in a valley. And so it's a lot of it is actually farmland at the moment, but it's been farmed for generations and generations. Obviously, it's all owned now by Southeast Water, but it is still farmed. So it's very beautiful down here. It is really pretty. And when did you first hear about the plans for the reservoir and what was your immediate thought when you heard about it? Um, well, after I'd moved in, actually, because I didn't know at the time um and so yes that was back in the 90s so i do know that it has been going on since the 1970s when it was compulsory purchased and um there was a lot of people living in these houses in fact a friend of mine she her father sold to them and that her, her house so 
I mean, um, it's been going on a very long time. But obviously it sounds now that these plans are being pushed forward, it's going to be slightly more realistic. I mean, Waterboss is saying this is really, really essential because, you know, there's so much demand now for supplies. What would you say to that? Well, I'm absolutely no expert, but I do know that in the beginning, the reservoir was going to stretch as far as Tyler Hill. It was going to be a lot bigger with a lot more quantity of water in it. Now, I think that um, I wonder if it's a little bit too too late really for all of this for all the house bills that we're having in our village Surrey and Broad Oak is just going to be one big mishmash of one big place there's hardly going to be differentiate between one village to the other which is really sad and so I think this reservoir um, it just may not supply the amount of water that is needed because it's supposed to be um, brought in from the Tsar pen and that and you know, I know myself through living here in the summer months, it's as dry as a bone. You wouldn't even know when I moved in, it was in August. You never knew that there was actually a stream going down the side of my house. What's the next steps that you can take then, Karen? Are you going to be wanting to fight these plans or are you pretty much resigned to the fact it's going to happen? Well, um, obviously they are my landlord and so um, I don't think I can actually fight them, but I'm hoping this time they'll listen a bit more because what we would all like, the people that live down here, are, you know, I mean, obviously we're all on the t type of tendencies we are that we don't have to be offered anything as far as I'm aware, but I would think that maybe this time they would listen and offer us some sort of help or some, you know, build new houses to replace what we're getting out or somewhere else on the sides if it happens. But, you know, I don't know if it will happen. As far as rehousing is concerned, I mean, if that was an option, would you be quite happy for if they said, OK, we appreciate these houses are going to be lost, we'll move you to the edge of the reservoir. This is where your house will be. Would you would you be OK with that? Yes, I think a lot of or at least some sort of option and not just be sort of like like all right you know um you've got to go now sort of thing which all actually I think that's all they've got to do obviously but um I do think they need to think that this is people you know I'm part of this community now I've lived here a very long time and I love living here and I love the people here so you know to have to I couldn't afford to live around here basically at my age um I I would have to move right out of the district and you know yeah so that needs to be considered and for everybody else, really. Well, the plans have been on show again today and a consultation by South East Water is running until February the 20th. Kent Online reports. JK Rowling has defended Kent MP Rosie Duffield after leaked audio appeared to reveal a Labour colleague criticising her. In the short clip, Sakia Starmer's spin doctor is heard saying the Canterbury rep should spend more time in her constituency and less hanging out with the Harry Potter author. It comes after the MP recently said she felt politically isolated by the Labour Party. A union is warning new government rules designed to tackle fire and rehire practices won't stop another P&O style scandal. The business secretary has announced a statutory code for employers, which includes compensation payments for people who are sacked because they won't accept worst working terms. It comes after, as you may remember, hundreds of people lost their jobs in Dover last March. Well, the TUC says the measures don't go far enough to protect workers.
A report has found some of the cells at Maidstone Prison are barely fit for purpose, with hardly any natural light and issues with damp. Inspectors made a surprise visit and also raised concerns about a lack of translators, which could put vulnerable inmates at risk. They criticised delays by the Home Office in processing cases, but praised the jail's new governor for the positive work she's doing. Now, a campaign is underway to try and save 35 children's centres across Kent, which have been put at risk of closure. The County Council is considering selling off the buildings as part of plans to save millions of pounds. Bosses insist services would still be provided, but in other locations. However, it's feared it'll have a big impact on smaller communities. Alistair Brady is a Labour councillor in Canterbury and he's been speaking to our colleagues at KMTV. They're a lifeline, they're in deprived areas and and they're, they're essential for children, young people and families to, um, to get um, services that are much needed within the community. The closures are under the disguise of the new um, family hub model. This is a government initiative that's injecting £2.6 million, £2. 6 million into um, delivering, uh, co-delivery, community engagement, building development and refurbishment. But instead of that, the administration are using that to cut funding, cut um, what we offer to residents. What the Labour Group would do is we would invest that money in um, offering preventative services, which has been known to show that it reduces demand for services further down the line. There's a strategic reset programme that Kent County Council are going to be spending £8 million, £5 million in the first year, um, and three million in the second year to enable most of these buildings to be fit for purpose. But if you look at the finer details, most of these buildings will not be able to co-deliver a lot of the services they think they will be able to, which will cost Kent County Council more money in the long run. Green Party politicians have also started a petition against the plans as a consultation on the whole idea continues. Kent Online reports. A coroner says the circumstances surrounding a crash that killed a Canterbury man suspected of murdering his girlfriend may never be known. Casper Verres had suffered multiple severe injuries after his camper van collided with a lorry in Spain in September 2020. An inquest heard that due to issues with translating documents, no other information has been found about the 28-year-old's death. His partner was reportedly discovered in the back of the vehicle, but it's understood she'd died hours earlier. Now, a Kent couple say they're at breaking point after living with bedbugs for years, which they blame on work done by a housing association. Sally and Fred Matthews have been dealing with insects at their flat in Burling Avenue in Raynham since 2020. They're now urging MHS Homes to get to the bottom of the problem or move them to another property. Let's hear what they've had to say two years ago i got bed bugs now they said it was my fault so i paid out of my benefits to get a man out to clean them now they were still here so i paid 600 pounds to get rid of them now the bloke did a really good job i had then my partner moved in he moved in two years ago no bed bugs whatsoever now they've started to take what i did do take parts of the ceiling down now we've been told by an independent pest controller that they come from up to down now when they took the ceiling off and left it exposed all over the weekend bed bugs came now we ran mhs homes and i asked enough's enough now i want to move 
because North, North Kent Pest Control give me the all clear and now they're back again. Now, I had North, Pen North Kent Pest Control out to do the job back in December. They were going to come on the 9th of January, but I said the bugs were actually going into my incontinent pads. So he came on the 5th of January to do it. Um, MHS Homes now has said they're getting another company out to use steam. Now, my partner has used a steamer on my settee and the bug's still there. So the steam ain't going to work. But what my argument is, where are they coming from? The only thing I can think of is when they took the roof off because they can lay dormant for a year. Now, MHS Homes are not going to do anything to investigate where they're coming from because no other flat has complained of bed bugs. Basically, they're saying it's down to... Uh, uh, My lifestyle. No, it's down to because we, we're dirty people. Well, they won't move. I said, get me out of here. I want to move. I said, sorry, we can't move you. I need a wheelchair. They haven't got any places for me because I'm a wheelchair user. Well, MHS Homes wouldn't comment on the roof but say they're doing all they can and a specialist contractor is visiting today to investigate further. Legal action is being taken after a huge pile of tyres was illegally dumped on a footpath in North Kent. The route along the canal basin in Gravesend was closed for 15 months because of the danger it posed to walkers. The county council say they're working with the Environment Agency and enforcement action is being taken. A Kent MP has been leading a debate today into the future of nuclear power in part of the county. Dungeness B station has been in the process of being defuelled since 2021 after operators EDF Energy decided not to restart the plant. However, Folkestone rep Damien Collins thinks the site is needed and suitable for further energy production. It is in an area of high energy demand and actually giving the increase in housing numbers and industrial activity, business activity and new investment, that is only likely to grow. So it's located in a place where we need energy. During his speech at Westminster, he also said there is still community support for the idea. He's since tweeted that he's going to be meeting with the Energy Secretary. It's feared two months' worth of roadworks on the A299 will put people off visiting Whitstable and Herne Bay. There will be a series of closures on the new Thanet Way from the beginning of April for repairs and maintenance work. Businesses on the coast are worried they'll lose out on trade as a result. Kent Online News. The Kent Online podcast has been told passenger flights from Kent to holiday hotspots like Spain and the Canary Islands could be taking off within the next five years. The people overseeing the relaunch of Manston Airport in Thanet say they're going to resume talks with big-name budget airlines. It's thought around a million passengers could travel through the terminal each year. Now, this all comes after a legal challenge over reopening the site as a cargo hub was rejected last week. We're hoping to have the man behind plans for the airport on the the podcast on Friday. We now know when Dover's new marina is opening. The outer marina has been described as a star feature of the town's waterfront and will open in April following more than four years of delays. It'll provide mooring berths for leisure vessels along with other facilities and food and drink available on Clock Tower Square. You can see pictures of what it looks like by heading to the website today. Four young entrepreneurs from Kent have won national awards for their businesses. They include a social media app for those who feel isolated 
Limited, a company that remakes clothes from old materials and a service that teaches children engineering skills. They'll each get a £5,000 grant as well as one-on-one business coaching. The bosses of a popular pub in Ashford say they're selling up just months after a major redesign because of rising costs. The landlady of the William Harvey in the Willsborough part of town says it's become increasingly difficult to continue because of increasing bills. New managers are set to take over at the start of March. And there's been a rather spooky discovery under the floor of a shop in Maidstone High Street. At Kent Online today, you can see video and pictures of secret crypts that could date back as far as 1331. They've been found under a vape shop. Sam Jessup is the manager of Evapo. He's been telling reporter Cara Simmons how the discovery was made. Because as we have to take regular metre readings, we have to gain access to that just to do it. But it's normally a two-man job because of how heavy the door is to get down there. But I've been down there a few times, but um, Simon contacted me about a year ago saying about having a look down there. So I said I'd take some photographs because of liability and everything else wasn't able to get permission to do it. But so far now, I have been able to because I spoke to the CEO of the company and got his permission so that this could happen today. Lovely stuff. And when you first went down there, were you a bit surprised with the sort of structure and everything that's down there? Was it something that sort of... Well, I was, I was quite surprised at how much there was from days of yore all the way up to modern day. And it's just basically a hybridization across everything down there. So you've got something which dates back well before the like 1600s or something, and then you've got electrical wires coming up through the floors and things like that. So it's just a little bit of a uh, uh, kind of hodgepodge of stuff down there, but it's just really interesting. Yeah, I know. Um, and um, what do you think of the discovery and obviously Simon's work? And well, it's, it's been very interesting. I mean, if there's more like this that could be done using like echolocation like apparatus to be able to map what's under Maystone a bit more, it could be very interesting and also from a structural standpoint be beneficial to the, the count well the council in itself because there is all the potholes which happened up at the top of Tumbridge Road those were part of the same sort of tunnel network yeah. so if anything it could also help with public safety. And investigator Simon White has been explaining what it was like going into the crypt. Well it's sort of like going into a place where you've you know, you've, if you visit an old church or an old building somewhere, you, it, it's very quiet and it's a bit musty and damp and, and you know, it, it is, I suppose you could say it is atmospheric because you think, oh, I've stepped back in the past. And uh, looking at the structures and, and everything underneath, you think there's no doubt about it that these are very, very old. And, I'm, and it, 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 it kind of makes you feel very, obviously very young, I suppose, but it's like, uh, it, it's difficult to describe. But it, when I delved into it myself and did some research, it was difficult to find out about precisely their date of origin and their purpose as well. But according to my research, they're of Franciscan origin, and you think from around 1331. But I would like to see that, to see that confirmed I've also seen uh, there's a publication that mentions owners of the building later on after it ceased to become a priory, um, but I'm not even sure it actually was established as a priory. I think it was built as such, but I'm not sure it actually 
became one in its purpose. I think it, at the time, and historians will be able to, um, be able to tell us more about this, but uh, I'm not sure it was actually established as a priory, although it was, I think the, the building was completed as such. I'm hoping more people are going to come forward and say, oh, do you know what, we've also got these kind of structures under our streets, and we can try and map out where the original priory was, possibly. But it's, I've also been, I've lived in Maidstone a long time, and I think Maidstone's a very interesting town with its history. It's, the priory, if, if it was built in 1331, it could be older than the Archbishop's Palace, the building that we see today. So I think for that reason, it's, it's also fascinating. And I, I like to think about the town that it used to be like centuries ago and try and think, and, and try and think what it would have looked like and, and everything. It's just pure interest, really. I would definitely like to see more, more pictures of, um, or even go into them if I could gain access to, you know, get permission to get access. But um, I definitely would like to see more people come forward and extend the project. And Empire of Light has been nominated for an Oscar. The movie, which was shot in and around Dreamland in Margate, is up for cinematography. The awards will be handed out at a ceremony in America on March the 13th. Kent Online Sport. Football first and a takeover of Maidstone United has fallen through. Local businessman Alan Manchett has withdrawn his offer to buy a controlling interest after failing to agree on what the club have said were some key details of the prospective deal. Co-owners Terry Casey and Oliver Ash have been looking for fresh investment as they hope to avoid relegation from the National League. And in ice hockey, the Invicta Dynamos coach has been chatting about what it was like for his team to face a former Premier League goalkeeper at the weekend. Former Chelsea star Petr Cech signed for Chelmsford Chieftains this season. They were beaten 6-3 by the Moes at the weekend. Head to the sports pages to read the thoughts of coach Carl Lennon. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get details of the top stories. Direct your email each morning via the briefing. And to sign up to that, just head to kentonline.co.uk and whilst you're on the site today, you can check out a stunning five-bed home in Kent that's just gone on the market for a whopping 6.9 million pounds. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.